My name is John Lemons, and this is where the citrus gets real. My podcast on church stuff, life stuff, and other stuff. Now, I've been gone for a while, and I'll talk about that another time, but today, I'll be talking about church stuff. We are prime into the summer of 2021, the first post-COVID summer for many of us. And if you're like me, you are rediscovering old connections, friendships, favorite restaurants, vacation spots. Summer is also the season of the church calendar known as Pentecost. This is a season that formally recognizes the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church, which if you are a part of a church today, means this is for you. And the season of Pentecost is a time that is all about connection. Today, I'll look at the words that Jesus used in John 15 to prepare his followers for this time, the things that we can learn about it from the smooth vocals of Marvin Gaye, and how our COVID isolation can clue us in to what Jesus is stressing to the readers of John's Gospel. Pentecost is like Advent or Lent or Easter, and it signifies a time when Christians worldwide acknowledge and celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit and the birth of what we know as the church. Maybe you've heard of Pentecost Sunday, and maybe you haven't. But either way, what do you know about where it comes from and how it originated, or the strange word choice that Jesus included while teaching his disciples and preparing them for this day? Pentecost is a weird name for a holy day, but the term is Greek in its origins. That may give away the meaning for you. You're familiar with the Pentagon, I'm sure, that five or penta-sided building in Washington, D.C. that houses the U.S. Department of Defense. Likewise, Pentecost, as a word, is nothing fancy. It simply means 50th. As an observance, it originated with the people of Israel. For them, it meant the 50th day after Passover, which was usually around the first harvest and therefore celebrated that thankful occasion. In Christianity, it signifies the day, roughly 50 days after Easter, that Jesus gave the presence of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. I'm not really sure, but I also imagine that this is the reason why the Spirit is often associated in the New Testament with fruit, as in being the first fruits of what is to come, referenced in Romans 8.23, or as in producing the fruits of the Spirit, which is referenced in Galatians 5. Nevertheless, this is where I want to zero in. Because now that we are on the other side of the first Pentecost, we take for granted the words Jesus chooses to use when he first speaks of it to his disciples. The power and the puzzling nature of them are lost on us today. So let's attempt to step into the shoes of a first century follower of Jesus and see if that can help us get a grasp on precisely what Jesus is saying. In 1968, a popular song debuted about a guy who found out through the gossip mill that his girlfriend was planning to dump him for another man. The song was I Heard It Through the Grapevine, and it was the first of three songs that would top the Billboard Hot 100 for Marvin Gaye and his long, distinguished music career. There's a passage in the Bible book known as John in chapter 15 that similarly refers to a grapevine and serves as another hit, so to speak. In John 15, 1, Jesus' words, I am the true vine, 
are the last of what is called the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. These I am statements are references to who Jesus truly is, clues that help us see him, not just as a man, but also as God in the flesh. The passage reads in the New Living Translation, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. When Jesus shares these words with his disciples, it is not only his last night on earth, it's his last few hours. These are quite literally his parting words. This is why it is a little weird when Jesus says what he says here, remain. It's a request by Jesus for his disciples to stay connected to him, but he is about to leave. He knows he is about to leave, and he has just told them earlier in this conversation, recorded one chapter prior in John chapter 14, that he is leaving and where he is going, they cannot come. But more on that in a moment. Let's grasp how odd this request may sound to the disciples. Imagine a friend you spent every day with came up to you in the spring of 2020, just before the worldwide lockdowns and stay-at-home orders due to COVID. And imagine that friend looked you in the eye and calmly but firmly urged you not to lose touch with him. You see him every day. You would have thought this was a little bizarre. However, as the weeks went by, you would have realized that your friend knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew exactly what was coming. But if that's true, then he would have also known that you would have not had the ability to be in his physical presence. Not losing touch with your friend, then, would have required another way for you to remain in contact. So all of this begs us to ask this question. What is Jesus getting at? When Marvin Gaye said in 1968, I heard it through the grapevine, people at the time knew what he was referencing. Today we may know that this is an allusion to the gossip mill, but we may not know why. Hearing something through the grapevine became an expression widely used in the mid-1800s, around the advent of the telegraph. Back in those days, people didn't have text messages, but as we do, they found the need and desire to send relatively in brief correspondence. For a very long time, people used methods such as carrier pigeons, drum beats, and smoke signals. But with this new technology, known as the telegraph, you could visit an office and pay to send a message, called a telegram, to someone in a much more reliable manner than any method previously known. The office would then send your message over electrical wires to the city of the person whom you wanted to receive your message. Then the office at which your message arrived would deliver it to your intended recipient. This process required huge poles across the nation, with lines running from the top of them, much like how we have telephone poles or power lines today. For a country at the time that was still primarily made up of farmers and land workers, and immigrants from wine countries like France and Germany, there was an unmistakable resemblance of this network of interconnected poles and wires to the similar ones that were required to grow grapes in a vineyard. Thus, people began to refer to this telegraph network as the grapevine. As I mentioned earlier, this became the fastest and most reliable way to communicate during this period. But it was also hard for those in traditional information dispensing industries to keep up. Because of that, people use telegrams to, you guessed it, spread misinformation. <laughs> Are you surprised? So if someone heard an item of shocking news, it could be advocated or dismissed as something that was, quote, heard through the grapevine. 
or via this network of poles and wires that connected everyone across the nation. Hearing something through the grapevine then came to be slang for something that was a rumor, maybe unreliable or maybe worse, related to gossip. And though by 1968 telegrams were replaced by even faster and more reliable forms of communication such as telephones and radio and television, this method of communication and the slang associated with it still lived in the collective memory of people in Marvin Gaye's day. Likewise, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, you are the branches, as he does in John 15:5, people at the time knew the reference. Palestine, the region in and around where they were, was rich in vineyards that stretched extensively around the area. It was, after all, the Fertile Crescent. It's reasonable then to conclude that Jesus' disciples and the earliest hearers of this account would have had a pretty thorough knowledge of what is entailed when he mentions vines, branches, and pruning. Unfortunately, time and technological advancement have made us more unfamiliar than the original audience with what Marvin Gaye was referencing. And similarly, we don't have a robust knowledge of what Jesus was talking about either. Now I have to confess to you, I'm terrible at owning cell phones. I drop my phones all the time, which results in cracked and shattered screens. One time I had a phone that I dropped so much that something inside of it broke and it simply stopped connecting to the cell towers. I can still use it if I were on Wi-Fi, but it wasn't good for much else if I wasn't. It wasn't good for calling or texting or streaming music. I would have to text my wife when I was leaving work to let her know to expect me in 15 minutes and that if I were not home by then, she wouldn't be able to call me to see where I was. And then I would drive home without being able to stream music or be inundated with a call or a text. It was like the olden days. But this idea of connection ties in with the word that Jesus uses, remain. You may be familiar with it in other Bible translations as the word abide. It is most often translated from the original language into English as the words remain or abide or stay and live. To be told to remain or to stay is comparable to us today telling someone to stand firm or asking, hey, are you in or are you out? As I said earlier, it seems odd that Jesus would essentially say, stay with me, when he has also told them that where he is going, they cannot come, and when he knows what is coming in just a few moments. The disciples are about to experience a whirlwind of change in their lives. 12 hours from this moment, Jesus will be on the cross, and 12 hours after that, he will be in a grave. And 12 weeks later, he will have resurrected and defeated death, yes, but then he would have ascended to heaven to be physically removed from his disciples for the rest of their time on earth. So how are the disciples to stay with Jesus? He gives the solution to this in John chapter 14, telling them that he will send the Holy Spirit to them, a foreshadowing of that first Pentecost Sunday. This gift is one way the disciples will maintain their connection or remain with Jesus. But what does that mean for you and me? We don't live in an age of telegrams with wires running on top of poles across the countryside. And we don't live in an age of vineyards and grapevines dotting our landscape. But we do live in an age of cell phone towers that do dot our landscape. And they work much the same way. In fact, the term cellular phone comes from the world of horticulture, as in cellular biology. They named it this way because when engineers mapped out the coverage provided by cell towers, it resembled a biological cell. 
Now, cell phones are great. You may be listening to this right now from your cell phone, but they are only great when the purpose for which they are intended works. The one I had that wouldn't connect to towers was okay. I could still take pictures with it. And as long as I didn't need to stream anything, I could still play music or use apps when I was on Wi-Fi. But I couldn't use the phone for its intended purposes. In some sense, this is what Jesus means when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Of course you can do things. Many people have done many great things and not been followers of Jesus, just as I could still do some stuff with my broken phone. But without that cell tower connection, my phone couldn't perform the functions for which it was intended. And I can't meet the purposes that God created me for without Jesus. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. The second is this. Phones only work for their intended purposes when connected to a tower, yes. And they are only good if there is a connection to someone else through that tower as well. Another thing we celebrate around the time of Pentecost is graduation. Do you remember when you graduated from high school and everybody said, stay in touch? Well, maybe some of you were able to do that with your best friends from high school. But for many of us, that became harder and harder as we went our separate ways. However, advancements in technology, like cell phones and the internet, have made it easier and easier for each new class of graduates to actually stay in touch. On my phone, I have multiple text threads with multiple friends from different walks of life, friends whom I haven't seen in years. And yet, I remain connected to them because I text with them every day, because I connect to the cell tower. And not only do I, but so do they. These are the ideas that Jesus is getting at when he commands us to remain, to stay connected, even while physically separated from him. Stay connected to the source, the vine, or in our day, the cell tower. Stay connected through the Spirit, but remember the connection is only good if there are others connected too. So through that connection, we all stay connected as well. But there is one other idea that Jesus is implanting in his disciples' minds with this vine imagery. Mere hours from his death and weeks from his departure from them altogether. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. The word that describes this removal, or this pruning process, is the Greek word katharos. And it's where we get our English word cathartic, which we most often use to describe the psychological and emotional relief that comes from releasing whatever has us feeling like we are on edge. For most of us in North America, we've emerged this summer out of a full year of COVID lockdowns and masks. We're a few months removed from a heated political season, and we've been awakened to scandals involving race and misogyny in some of our most trusted institutions, from educational institutions to the media, to the medical community, to the entertainment world, to 
churches. I'm willing to bet that the past year has either been cathartic for you or you are looking for the light at the end of the tunnel because you need catharsis. But here is what I love about what Jesus shares here. For a grapevine, pruning, catharos, produces growth. And the reason Jesus is using this as an illustration is that for us, catharsis promotes growth as well. It's not a pretty process and it can be painful for sure. The word practically guarantees that you will be cut. But ultimately, when done right and healthily, it makes for a more robust and more fruitful grapevine and a stronger and more fruitful me and you. So if a grapevine produces grapes through pruning, what does Jesus, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, create in us through this process of catharsis? Verses 10 and 11 of John 15 tell us, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Did you catch that? This process is so that we will remain in His love and our joy will be made complete. Love and joy, two vital components of what it means to stay with Jesus. This idea gets drawn out more in the church's earliest days through the Holy Spirit's work with the earliest believers in Jesus. It becomes fully developed and known as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I mentioned this earlier. And these are love and joy, yes, but also peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. From the very beginning, Jesus' followers understood the context of the church to be the best place for developing this. A grapevine doesn't have just one grape on it, nor just one cluster of grapes. It eventually has too many to number, and a Christian is connected to Jesus alongside other Christians through similar clusters, or what is called the church. And whatever the church is, it's more than a building. It's more than a Sunday morning program on TV or the internet, and it's more than a podcast or YouTube video that you can catch sometime during the week. The meaning of the word church is assembly, gathering, or collection. Whatever that looks like for you, the scriptures tell us that it is a part of your spiritual growth and development. It is a part of you working the way you were built to work, just like a cell phone. Maybe that means as life begins to open back up, you look to plug into the life of a local church. Or perhaps it means you invite people into your life and your home, and you connect with a local church as an extension of their ministry. You make a community out of watching their online programming, a house church for the 21st century, out of the shadow that COVID, controversy, and deconstruction has cast over us all. Whichever way you prefer, the point is there are no solo grapes on the vine. It requires other people. The church is the connection God gives us to remain and to be pruned. But it is about gathering with others and connecting to this vine or this cell tower. It's not the building you might go to and it's not the program you might watch. Now, it's also important to note, churches can certainly overreach sometimes. They can be the source of a lot of hurt and pain and people can utilize the church to wield their destruction. And maybe this is where you fall. The people who've hurt me the most have been members of churches. And that shouldn't be easily dismissed by any of us. We've all certainly seen churches that have done or enabled harmful, immoral, and even illegal things. Those cannot be overlooked or quickly forgotten. If a church community has hurt you, I would encourage you to seek professional help from a credentialed counseling organization in your community. Everything that has been cut requires some time to heal. 
But whatever church means, it means gathering. And we were meant for it. It means that you cannot do this alone. God didn't build you to fly solo. Not individually, not contained to your family unit. And this is for your good. It is why therapy is effective. Why groups like AA are effective. And why the church at its best is effective and beneficial and fruitful for you. The last thing Jesus wanted his followers to know before the societal structures around him put him to death was that Pentecost was coming. So remain, he said. Stay connected to him and each other. This process would provide catharsis. It would prune them, which would sometimes be painful, but it would ultimately lead to their love and joy being made more complete. And how can you grow in love when you remain alone? How do you experience joy without the risk of pain? How do you grow in patience and kindness without doing your best to love people who drive you absolutely bananas? You keep your connection to the vine or to that cell tower and through it, your relationship to Jesus and to others that are connected as well. And with that, you'll find catharsis in your life, healing, growth, and the blossoming and completeness of love joy and every other purpose God intended for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you find this useful or helpful in any way, please consider sharing it with a friend through a text or even through social media. I also invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And please subscribe so that you don't miss future content. I promise I'll try to be a little bit more regular in the future. You can find a written version of today's episode and more over on my website, www.citrusgetsreal.com. We'll see you next time.